Ladies and gentlemen, I am here to announce that Completely Machinima will be discussing Machinima films. My favorite part of the show, along with my good friends, Tracy Harwood, Phil Rice, and Damian Valentine. A core of professionals and crazy people who have some of the best films we've ever had in our lineup. I kid you not. Um, we'll be uh, discussing them one by one and uh, sharing our thoughts and ideas about them. One note, uh, next month, we're gonna be starting to examine each film individually. So there'll be a one episode per film. But in this one, we're gonna give you the whole hog. Um, completelymachinima.com is where you'll get the notes. And let's start off with Tracy. You have an excellent and interesting film you found for us. What is it? Yes, well, okay. So um, I have picked this month, a film called The Cloud Racer by Impossible Objects. Um, uh, it's made in Unreal Engine 5 and it was released uh, on the 15th of August, about a week ago as, um, as we're um, talking. Um, and I'll pick this for a, for a, a number of reasons, really. Um, first, the film's director is a guy called Joe Sills, who won John McInnes' real-time movie contest last year with a film called The Nemesine, um, which we talked very briefly about uh, in the interview with John a couple of months ago. And Joe, plus a couple of the team uh, that have worked on this film, are also judges of this year's movie contest too, which you can also find on our um, on our uh, website. Um, so Joe and his team are clearly Unreal Engine specialists. Um, and this is a really quite an exemplar of their talent working with that tool set. Um, and I'd say particularly in building the world that they've used here for this particular story, um, which is basically a derelict Los Angeles set in 2055. Um, second, the studio took an interesting approach to releasing the film, um, which other creators might want to um, take note of. First of all, it was, it was exclusively released through a website called Short of the Week. Um, where it was reviewed by their curator. Uh, and then a week or so later, it was premiered, premiered on the um, studio's own website with a much higher res version. And in fact, actually, I'd recommend you look at the higher res version than the one on Short of the Week. Um, but nonetheless, um, I put uh, a link to both the Short of the Week version and uh, the studio's website. Um, so that you can have a look at, at, at both of those if you, if you wish. The Short of the Week release um, is... It's kind of an interesting approach because it's clearly bringing the content, new content to a wider audience. So it's definitely something I think you should consider um, in, in um, you know, thinking about when you release new films. Now, let me talk about the film itself. It's a story about a young man and his mechanic father taking part in, as underdogs in a futuristic racecraft competition. It's set in Los Angeles, which has become what the story describes as a ghost city. It's derelict, it's heavily polluted, and it, it's dangerous. Um, the story has shades for me of Anakin's pod race in Star Wars Phantom Menace, and also Top Gun's Maverick character from the 1980s version of the film, not the, the most recent version. Mixed with a little bit of Chris Pratt humor, I think. Um, the story includes references to contemporary Formula One, or, or maybe you'd call it Indy 500 racing hype, including down to the sponsors and names of the drivers. So you see Sony, Red Bull, Samsung, alongside SpaceX, which is a bit of a, 
an interesting one. And you also hear mention of Amazon, Uber, and, and Honda. Um, so there's this kind of humorous undertone and a fair bit of, I'd say, speculative and gratuitous um, commercialization in this clue. It didn't bother me that much, but I can imagine that it might bother others um, in terms of uh, that advertising side of things. Now, what I liked about the film um, was the relationship between the father and son character and how the, the son, uh, son's relationship developed alongside the other races as this story progressed. Um, a little bit like we see really in the, in the, in the media portrayal of F1 races and back chat between races themselves. Um, for a short of about 10 minutes, there are surprisingly quite a few characters in this. And I would say that not all of them were needed um, because the racing for me did drag on a little bit too much. Although there were quite a few of the um, events in the race itself to sort of carry it through. Um, and then there's a point in it at which you realize the story is going somewhere rather unexpected um, when this kind of mystery woman appears in the, in the last couple of minutes. So I won't spoil that for, um, for our followers. There were a couple of technical things that I liked less and a couple of things that I really liked. What I liked less was the shininess of the craft uh, in contrast to the dirtiness of the scene. Uh, in some shots, you could see that the craft were meant to be a bit battered, but they seemed a bit too plastic, um, which became quite noticeable during the race. Then there was this gratuitous flying bug, which did absolutely nothing for me at all. Uh, and finally, whilst I think mocap is clearly coming on amazingly well, um, I, I think what I what I um, didn't like so much really was um the meta-human lips and teeth um and i think I'm, I'm noting these more more and more in um the various kind of works we're seeing and 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 this uh film because i because they just sort of hit me in the face so much they looked just like a mouthful of cheap dentures uh, <laughs> and i kind of Started to, started to fixate a little bit on them. And I, and, I, and I don't think that's a fair comment really on the film. It's not really criticism of the film, but I think it's one of the things that uh, the meta-human folks need to sort of um, look at a little bit. Um, what impressed me most about it was the sound design, um, soundscape, the voice acting, the editing is really well done. Um, from, the, from the engines of the craft to the commentator, in the in the background to the different tones that were represented where the speaker was in the shot i loved all that and of course the city design itself um you know including the smog or fog um it was it was incredibly well detailed what did you guys think i'll start with my criticism which was uh the camera moves a lot and with the race and some of the more action-packed scenes that's completely makes sense but there's times when the characters more towards the beginning before the race starts and the characters are talking, but the camera's kind of moving really fast and a little bit too excessively exactly. to the point where... Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that made it hard to watch that bit when, you know, mm. you don't need... Moving a little bit's fine, but when it's going all over the place, it's like, no, too much. Um, but I really enjoyed the film, apart from that, you know, that, that's one of those things that starts me as a little niggle, but the film itself was so well made that... Uh, um, I hope for the next, whatever they make next, I hope they turn down that camera just a bit because every other piece of film, you, should, you can see they put so much into it and it makes me want to know what, what they're going to do next. And they also, 
one of the other things that really stood out to me, which is something really hard to pull off with Machinima, is the speed of the race. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I mean is, game. if you're using a game, there's a point where, especially like a racing game or a flying game, if you make the vehicles realistically fast, they're very hard to control for the player. So you kind of have to get that balance from the gameplay perspective. But if you're using it to make a, a film, those vehicles are not going to move as fast as you'd want them to move. Mm-hmm. Um, but in this, you kind of feel like they're moving at the speed they should be. Mm-hmm. And you know, I really appreciate that doing that manually must have been a lot of work and that they really successfully pulled it off. Mm-hmm. So I thought it was an excellent film and uh, probably my favorite pick of the month. <laughs> yeah, it makes me wonder, Damon, your your comment was like the first comment I was going to make. Uh, oh, sorry. It, it, it made me wonder. No, it's okay. Uh, like what... I found myself wondering what's the budget of this film that they could afford to give the, the camera operator this much cocaine? <laughs> Cause I've never worked on that kind of budget film before, but yeah, the, you know, okay. I'm, I'm dating myself here a lot, but in the U S there was a TV show in the late eighties or early nineties called NYPD blue. Oh, yes. oh, yeah. Which, which was infamous for a few reasons. One of which was, I think it was the first one to use several of George Carlin's words that you can't say on television on TV for the first time. And they got away with it somehow. Um, very excellent acting as well. But also that whole that's really when that whole the camera never really stays still thing started. And it was jarring to most people who saw it, it was like, what's going on here? It's very unsettling, but there's a subtlety to it. I don't know what that, there's probably a name for the technique. I'm not a camera operator, so I don't know, um, but you can overdo it. And, and the thing that I learned about that technique from watching that show and then the shows that follow is that, yeah, it's the degree of movement. It's, it's influencing the, emotion and intensity of the scenes. Um, so when, when there's quick movements or a lot of movements, there's something you're supposed to feel chaotic. It kind of, kind of plays with your emotions as a viewer, the same way that musical score can do, especially when it's really cliched, you know, it's telling you how to feel. Uh, and Ricky, you and I've talked about that in the past that, that, that kind of annoys you when you, when you wake up and realize a score is just doing that. It's yeah. just trying to, to manipulate deliberately instead of, just being there and in this one yeah in those early scenes of this it was moving like it's an action shot and the the same camera technique was being used in the action shots and it did it worked like it was acceptable but during those dialogue shots it just it took me out of it it didn't really make any sense Um, but barring that I think the only areas uh, where this film was overall extraordinary the world building like you mentioned tracy just just delicious um these big wide shots of just this i mean so much time must have gone into constructing that um something that jumped out to me was uh facial expressions there were certain facial expressions especially with the father and the son there was one where the son kind of smirked at his dad and just you don't see that you there see you that go. from a good actor. You mm-hmm. don't see that in animation. There was a subtlety there that just those little 
back and forth between them and the little expressions, particularly on this part of the face. Cause you're right, Tracy down here. Mm, maybe have the lips touch on M's a little more or something, you know, it is mouthful of dentures was the perfect description. That's not their fault. I think it's a flaw of the tech, mm. but in the upper face, my goodness, I don't know how they did that. Uh, if that was a mocap thing or if it was tweaked, but just some really interesting facial expressions that are not typical out of the box slider stuff. It was really well tailored. Um, and I think that the, the, the father son relationships in terms, in terms of storytelling, you figure there's really only, this thing's only 10 minutes long and there's really only a few minutes of dialogue between them. And yet you get this sense of this larger, longer relationship, like very livable, um, father son banter. And like you said, Tracy, some of the racing uh, banter that that uh, uh, is typical. So that was wonderfully done. I think the areas where it suffered are the areas where it's just stuff that's really hard to do. Uh, I mean, it's ambitious. It's really hard to do a race. The pod racing thing, Tracy, huh. was exactly the, the, the exact sequence that I thought of when I watched this. And much as, you know, the rest of that film uh, that Star Wars film doesn't really excite me. That scene, that sequence, that racing sequence was masterful. Yeah. And yeah. the reason is, is because each ship had a personality. It had its own sound. Every engine was unique and you knew what, remember that one ship? Yeah. Damien, we'd never heard yeah, that yeah, sound yeah, in yeah. the Star Wars universe, but there was one ship that did that kind of popping sound. And then, uh, Anakin's ship had a totally different sound and, and all the ships had personalities based on their sound in this one, there wasn't much distinction there. So while that's not a failure, it's something that would have, I think, enhanced the, okay, what's going on here. The other part is when filming a race is so challenging because you have to give, you know, if you've got two characters walking through a hangar, it's very easy through the right angle choices through an establishing shot for all this to get, to give the viewer a sense of the space and you're comfortable with, okay, so I see, I, I get a feeling of where they are. And on a race, it's moving so fast and going through all these different terrains that there's this real disorientation. that's very, very, very easy to have come over the viewer. And that's what I was really wrestling with is I, I, I just couldn't feel comfortable knowing where, what's the path. And, Breaking down and analyzing the pod racing scene to determine what they did to where you don't feel that way about the pod race, even though it was a bigger course and through weirder terrain. And yet maybe it's because they did multiple laps. Damien, you might, you might have thoughts on that. Maybe the multiple laps is why they were able to give you a sense of where they are on the course, who's ahead of who at what point. Um, that's all about shot selection and editing. And it is, I'm not criticizing it in this film because it is extraordinarily difficult to do. You know, it's, 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 it's way beyond the normal stuff you have to do in cinematography to give that sense of space, establishing shot, and then this shot and a mix of wides and close-ups and all that. That already is masterful. It takes years, I think, to master. But when you're on a 
a car chase or in this case a, a race is just it's infinitely more difficult to do i think they did a, a very they did a very decent job of of something that frankly there's only a a tiny tier of professionals uh, who can do it well um in in and i'm talking about like hollywood type movies not everybody can do that it's a very unique craft so the fact that they even reached for it is admirable and awesome and uh i look forward to watching more from from these guys for sure and i hope that there's i couldn't tell from this if if this is this an actual chapter one of x chapters tracy or it looks it, like it it, definitely, it does look like it yeah. i hope yeah. it is i would yeah. definitely watch more of of this world because it's Me interesting too. enough yeah um so again the kinds of criticisms that i'm doing here are like we're on siskel and ebert and i'm picking apart real professionals or something it, it, I, I i recognize that but uh maybe that's maybe that in itself is the biggest compliment i could give the film mm-hmm. is that that's what i ended up focusing on was these things that only elite professionals can pull off anyway and here these guys tried it and did it in a in a very competent way so pretty neat stuff i don't know anything about their background tracy you may have read up on it but uh, uh very very impressive uh and a lot to like here for sure mm-hmm. wow phil that was it's really quite a solo you just sorry did. wonderful <laughs> but no I, no I, 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 don't don't be sorry it was fantastic i love to listen to you riff on it um, there, there's little I can add to it because every all of you hit on the things that I was thinking about. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the writing and the quality of the film um, world making. Uh, Jason Sondi, the short of the week uh, curator, talked about this, called it a sci-fi proof of concept short, heavily indebted to underdog sports films, cinematic aviation spectacles, and old school chase filmmaking. Mm-hmm. He said it's a uh, pleasing amalgam of forward-looking futurism and nostalgia. I agree with all of those, and I think that's right, although I'm not sure what proof of concept means. Um, does that sort of decry the quality of the film because it's not a film, it's a proof of concept? I, I don't know. Hmm. That's strange wording. Yeah, I don't understand that either. Yeah. Um, I did really enjoy the performances and the soundscape, just like you talked about. The the teeth and the mouth things, even though I noticed it, it didn't bother me that much, as much as it bothered you guys. It's clear, this is clearly a, a group of filmmakers who know what they're doing and know what they want to do and achieved it. I think the problem with the, you you articulated flawlessly in the chase sequence, you're disoriented as to who's where and where is our hero and what they're doing there. I think that was sort of the low part of the film. They could have spent more time editing it more clearly and deciding there were, I think one of the problems was is there are too many wide shots and included too many crafts in them so you couldn't make a distinction that sound distinction with engines would have helped with that uh, clarification and that so that's perfect um i enjoyed the film very much though and i want to point out before i finish uh because i want to bring this up in the subsequent film that we're going to talk about the idea of sentiment <clears throat> the father-son relationship with the mother is a sentimental uh, approach to story. Now, I generally don't like sentiment. 
But sentiment, I've discovered as I've gotten older, it can still have a powerful effect when used in certain ways. Yes. Um, you talked earlier about off camera, uh, Phil, about how you were, you always cry when um, uh, father takes off the mask in uh, the Star Wars and says, I am your father, Luke. Well, that's a bit of sentiment there, you know, but sometimes it just really grabs you, grabs yeah. your heart, certain kinds of sentiment. The sentiment in this film was perfectly fine. I understood it, but it limited the story a bit in terms, because you knew how it was going to turn out. You know what I mean? There was no suspense. Of mm. course, he's going to win the race because the mother is dead and he's got a father who's working for him. That's how those, those sort of sentimental stories work. If you lessen the sentiment, you create more um, suspense. So I think that could have benefited by maybe perhaps adjusting that sentimental aspect. But keep in mind the fact that this is a, a sentimental theme because later we're gonna see another film, two other films that use sentiment in entirely different ways. And I'd like to talk about it then. Mm -hmm. But thank you guys very much for, for really excellent uh, commentary on, on this great film. Uh, Damien, you have a very unusual pick that's completely out of the wheel well for the <laughs> kinds of film you choose. And I'd just like to say that the Lord Inquisitor is the name of the film. Uh, it has a prologue by Erasmus Brodow. It was directed by Erasmus Brodow. It was designed by Erasmus Brodow. It was overly produced by Erasmus Brodow with a production content and concept by Erasmus Brodow. <laughs> so what do you have to say about the film? Well, we know who, who made it. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, this is before... I hadn't started thinking about what am I going to choose this month. And one of my friends actually sent this to me and said, isn't this real-time animation the kind of stuff that you do? So I, I watched it. I thought, it is, but I don't know what it was made with. And that's kind of stood out to me to start with, because, you know, you watch Machine when you don't know what it's made with. You, you try and work out, is it made with The Sims or Unreal or whatever? It's just not like an unconscious <laughs> thing. And I couldn't figure it out. And I got into it and I thought, they actually did a really good job with a lot of this stuff. Like the animation, the character animation is really good. Um, it looks a little bit, something about the rendering looks a little bit older. So I was trying to work out, is it something, an older version of iClaim that I don't know about or something? I don't know. And I thought, well, they put a lot of work into this. And it's, a, it's a basically based on the world of Warhammer uh, 40K, which I don't know too much about myself. But obviously, this is uh, someone who knows that world really well to create this story and they started doing things in it that you don't see a lot in um because it's obviously not made with the game i figured that out as i was watching it and i thought this is made with something like iclone it wasn't made with movie storm obviously but something that you can get manual control over everything and you start having crowds with thousands of people walking through the streets and I, what can you use to make that and so um, I watched it. I enjoyed it. I liked the story and the way that the characters were animated and all the stuff I've already said. So I looked at the behind the scenes and there's some behind the scenes videos. We don't really say too much about what they use, but it turns out to be Blender. And I think it's the real-time engine. Blender, Blender, really? Yeah. Wow. Um, the the real-time engine of Blender that they released however uh, many years ago it was. And I haven't actually seen anything like this. Made I've seen test projects uh, that we, we've lamented on before people do tutorials and test projects they don't actually make a real film yeah. 
Uh, and so this is the first time that um, I'd seen so that this is going to be my pick for the month. So what do you guys think of it? Well, it was, um, I'm very surprised that it was a Blender production. It was certainly beautiful. Um, it definitely in the epic style um, with huge uh, depictions of massive amounts of people and engines and faces and everything. Um, I found it, although I enjoyed it, I have to say that, and also the, the work put into it was significant, uh, especially since it was uh, in Blender. There's a lot of work that you have to do in order to get that look. Uh, the voice acting was very good. However, I, I was troubled a bit by a certain amount of pretentiousness to the film. Um, I satirized the fact that director put the credits to, for himself uh, excessively. I think there's like 45 seconds of credits at the beginning, um, which tipped me into the idea that this is going to be a big film, you know. Mm. Uh, in contrast to the other films that we're looking at, this didn't fare as well because it tends to, these kinds of films, these epic films in the style of um, um, Game of Thrones tend to emphasize the villains. All of the villains are the protagonist instead of being the antagonists in it. And uh, the smarminess of the acting, although it, it was good, it was very typical for that kind of thing. Uh, any competent actor could do that sort of, uh, yeah, now you're going to die, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that kept me from getting, and because it's of the epic quality, it distanced me. I couldn't get involved in the story or give a damn about any of the characters. So as a spectacle, I thought it was really well done. Uh, although I think it should, could have had a bit more sound design in the film, but I was always kept at a distance from it. And um, that that's what bothered me about the film. Uh, but overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, and I applaud the filmmakers for the amount of work they put into it. Uh, the world building aspect visually was, uh, was really impressive. Um, the scale of things. And like you said, Damien, with all the, the large groups of, of characters moving and, and big architecture and all of that. Um, I don't know anything at all about World Ham. What is it? Warhammer 40K? Yeah. No, I, I haven't a clue. Um, and, I, and to the film's credit, I, don't, I didn't need to, to get what was generally going on, you know, uh, some kind of coup, basically, I, I think. Um, the, the, the overall vibe of those large scenes and the military parade and all of that really reminded me stylistically of some of the, uh, some of the final fantasy cinematics mm, from, mm. from 15, 20 years ago, back when the cinematic was this rich, you know, beautifully animated. And then the game was the Sims one graphics, you know? <laughs> Uh, but those cinematics were just so good, you know, they, they, they told their own story and, and there's actually one of those final fantasy games, seven or eight, I think had a big parade scene. Uh, and just, it, yeah, it's, it's, they, uh, they achieved that, um, uh, very well of this sense of just real scale. And even though I didn't know who any of the people were, um, I didn't really have to. 
uh, for this. Um, I didn't think about it when watching it, but Ricky, when you were talking, it did strike me that this is, there was something bugging me. And that is, I'm not sure I can identify any protagonist in this piece. <laughs> uh, there's antagonist, antagonist's goons, and victim. <laughs> I mean, you can't call the chancellor or whoever that was that was just basically just getting kicked around. He's not the protagonist. There's, there's nothing about him that made me want to root for him. The best that I could say emotionally that it brought out was, oh, these guys are bullying him, you know? But, you know, in terms of, well, it, it left open this sense of, well, maybe he's corrupt, you know? I mean, these guys are clearly not the good guys, but maybe this guy's corrupt and is getting what he deserves. And there was nothing to really contradict that in what we saw, you know, just this sense of, well, he's helpless in the face of them, but that doesn't mean that he's, you know, someone we should root to be saved. So there was that ambiguity there and, and lack of anybody to really latch onto because the, 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 I think the character that was characterized most strongly, I don't have my thesaurus handy, was somebody really, really, really unlikable, you know? The, probably the best voice actor of the piece, the, the main dude, I don't know what his name is. Uh, he had the, the strongest voice performance. Um, yeah, it's a little bit, some of the lines were a little bit cliched, um, but, you know, you got, he's the one you got the strongest sense of, and also this sense of, I don't like this guy. You know, I, I don't think he has, he's out for his own power, it seems, uh, he's overthrowing someone, but I don't think whatever's on the other side of that overthrow is going to be good for anybody. And yeah, that's a hard, you know, ultimately, I, I've watched lots of villain-centric TV and movies, uh, especially over the last 15, 20 years. Everybody has, because it's, it's so widely done now, you know, and every, almost every major movie star has played a bad guy in the anti-hero role. We're used to it, you know? So anyway, some impressive stuff visually. Uh, again, some, some stuff going on with the, the lip sync that's just not quite perfect. And I always feel weird criticizing that because I grew up watching Speed Racer, <laughs> which has like three phonemes, including closed mouth, you know, and ooh, that's it. And it didn't bug me. Speed Racer kicked ass, you know? So yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and the, the early movies that I made were, yeah, were just, if there was any lip sync at all, it was pathetic. Or it was, I mean, my most recent movie, it's, it's what's called bullshit lip syncing, which is get this <laughs> character to say something and then try to get your audio to line up with it with, with mixed <laughs> results, you know? And here I am criticizing somebody, you know, something that at least has, you get the gist of what they're saying, but the lips maybe don't bend perfectly. And so what, I'm going to bitch about that No. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, honestly, again, choose to, please choose to take that as a compliment. You know, you've, you're operating at a certain level now where, uh, you know, those, those are the imperfections that stand out is stuff that was impossible to achieve yeah. Yeah, yeah, when yeah, Machinima yeah. began. And that's where we are now. So uh, that's exciting. I'm not, I'm not nearly as excited about the world built in this film as I am 
with the one in Cloud Racer. I don't think it's quite as compelling. Uh, and again, mainly because in Cloud Racer, uh, at least had you knew where characters stood, and and okay, if nothing else, let's let's hope for the best for this father son. You know, let's assume that they're decent people and hope for the best for them. And uh, my my search came up wanting for anybody that not to just bring despair in this one. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know what? I thought given its age, I was stunned to see how beautiful the aesthetic detail it's was in, in the environment, the lighting, the contrast, the models, that gold lion. Um, unbelievable. Mm. The gold lion, I could not believe the, 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 um, the beauty of that. That was stunning. The music also for me was was really um, well done. Um, great drama, a really good fit for the story. If it not did a, fit, mm, but it, it for me it was a better fit than the dialogue. Um, and frankly, I expected something really sinister to happen um, for the story itself to deliver um, to deliver against the quality of the visuals. Ah. Sinister, or at least a little surprising. Something. Yeah, but it, but it actually was, fell flat for me. Yeah. I I agree with you with you all actually. I, it didn't it didn't deliver on the dialogue, and then the lip sync was not great. But you know what? I think our expectations have moved on so much in the ah. last couple of years. Bearing in mind this was twenty sixteen, this was released twenty sixteen, mm, mm. so it's quite a few years old. Right. Um. So, but but it, again, it wasn't too bad, but it wasn't brilliant. And I and I I kind of picked up on one um, person that commented on the video, and they said, "Well, dialogue five out of ten, lip syncing three out of ten, aesthetics forty thousand out of ten. <laughs> and I thought that, I saw that comment. <laughs> I thought that was spot on. Actually, I really liked that. Um, now, what really impressed me about it um, was the you know irrespective of, of um you know the comments on the on the the detail of it it was the energy that went into the project hmm. um and i looked at some of the uh the other videos by by this creator and you know it's it's very evident that it was a, a passion project fan support um was what led this this project to get off the ground and that's mainly because the publisher um, prohibited the team from making any money at all out of the film itself. That's why you get all these credits in it. Wow, um, I see. Uh, so he was really making a, a, a really, I think he made a very strong point. That's what you get most strongly out of it. Uh, and yet it's, it, in actual fact, it turns out it was the only fan project for Warhammer 40,000, which was supported by Games Workshop, which is the publisher. So what's interesting I think, was how the project exploded from what they intended to be an eight-minute version to a full 40-minute film based on the vision and the quality of the work for how this kind of creator, um, uh, you know, started to pull it all together. And in that process, what he managed to do was bring in what he called a crack team of creatives. They're professional actors, voice actors, uh, and actually the story writer... Uh, as far as I can see, it was it was basically co-produced by a guy called Aaron Dembski Bowden, who was a, was a New York best-selling novelist, and the music composer was a guy called Adam Harvey, who also composed the music 
for the official Warhammer Ultramarines movie, which starred mm. William Hurt and Terence Stamp. Mm. Um, but I have to say, I couldn't actually find the full um, film for Lord Inquisitor. I don't know where it is. I don't know why oh. it's, you know, if there is a 40 minute version, I don't know what happened to this. So it's mm. basically just um, a taster, a prologue, or what I'd basically describe as an extended trailer. Mm. Um, and what seems to me the development of just one lead character in the story, who is a, supposedly a bad guy, I think. Um, so I think what I would comment on this though, mostly is that it, what, it, what it does show is the promise of um, game-based storytelling um, in the way that it was developed. Um, and it's actually a perfect illustration, I think, uh, in terms of what happened, uh, uh, you know, why, why the, uh, the, the publisher and game developer wouldn't, uh, wouldn't allow it to, to generate money. It's a perfect example of why platforms such as Unreal Engine 5 are now the go-to platform. Because if you can get a whole bunch of professionals together to create something like this, why wouldn't they do it for money? Yeah. And, and for, for a project of this quality to take what, would, what seems to have been like five or six years um, in the making, to get absolutely nothing out of it, I think mm. is shameful. Shameful. Yeah. It's so crushing. It. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's inappropriate. And I have to say, there's something like seven and a half million views on YouTube for this as well. But I don't know if you notice, there's no advertising over it. None mm. whatsoever. Uh, yeah. And that's got to be to do with the limitations that um, the uh, publisher put over it. Right, right. Uh, so overall, I'd say it's a really good pick and it illustrates a lot of the challenges um, that Machinima has faced uh, over the years. Um, but I, 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 I did enjoy it, and I think it's a great example for, uh, of what it is um, and of its time. And thank goodness for something like Unreal Engine 5 now, because you'd never make those decisions um, uh, to, to make it in the way that, you, that they do, again, I suspect. Really mm -hmm. good points, Tracy, really good points. It occurred to me as you were all talking about the film that this might be the machinima equivalent of heavy metal music. Yeah. Where it's really a mood as opposed to a story. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 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 That, that seven million people are all going, yeah, 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 banging their heads, go, yeah. As opposed to thinking of, you know, you need to have a protagonist, an antagonist, and all that stuff, you know. And it also makes a lot of sense it, thinking of it as an extended trailer gives a perspective into why there isn't any organized plot. In mm. it, as opposed to just a piece well well said tracy but, thank you but i wonder where the uh, the 40 minute version of it is because i yeah, just yeah yeah so damien if any if oh. anybody listening and are watching this podcast has any idea where this 40 minute version is please let us know give us yeah a, i'd watch it mm, yeah. me too. okay we come to a very interesting film from you phil um tell us about it uh this is Person 2184 by uh, one of Machinima's founding fathers, let's say, uh, Friedrich Kirschner, who is an artist and photographer and all around, he's a technical wizard, uh, amazing guy. Um, 
I actually don't know when this was released. Tracy will probably be able to spot it, but it's early 2000s. It was made with Unreal Tournament 2004. Uh, and it was part of a series that was intended to be three films. I think he only made two of the three. Um, the second one was called uh, The Photographer. Friedrich Kirshner, you may uh, be aware of from, I think, the film of his that probably got the most attention, which was called The Journey or Journey. I can't remember if it has the uh, definite article on there. I think it's The Journey. Okay. Um, and basically, I, I found uh, the original upload of his film, but then also in the search results, found this one that was just up to, uploaded days ago. And the visual quality, it's, it's a different render, not just a different upload. It's a different render of that film, which brings to me the, the, uh, the part of this film that to me is the most extraordinary and, and probably something that I guess is technically lost now um, in terms of how Machinima was made. Uh, this was kind of the end of that era where machinima was not something that you rendered out pieces of footage in real time and then bring them into a non-linear video editor and do post-production and all that and, and distribute it as a video. This was never during its, uh, during the time around its release, it was never released as a video or not. That wasn't the primary way that you were to consume it. It was, distributed as an executable as a essentially a almost like a mod for ut 2004 that you would load this into the game and it would play back exactly as you see it in this video within the game engine using your 3d card that's the way that machinima began uh, originally because there was no youtube uh, and video was just too heavy uh, a file to distribute and, and it took way too long to render on the PCs back then. So it just wasn't the way it was done, but dating all the way back to the eighties, you have the demo scene where basically the visual, the video production was a, a program that would run and use the computer's graphics card to display uh, something on the screen. And so Friedrich uh, was aware of, and kind of in a way came from that tradition um, but what's unique about his work is that uh, it doesn't look anything like the game at all. Yeah, I know. Like if, I, like if I'm not mistaken, every single piece of artwork, every texture, every character, when you see it, you'll, you'll, you'll see why I'm air quoting character because, it, again, it doesn't look like uh, character models of the time, the way that he handled the animation of them. Very interesting. But my understanding is he, he, he's a photographer. He took pictures of and, and created all these graphics and assembled this film. And it's running in that game engine, but it's using almost exclusively, or maybe exclusively, original uh, image assets. And uh, the effect is, is extraordinary. I don't know who composed the music. I can't remember, but it's, it's not like a known or popular piece. It's something that probably... Uh, knowing him, he had a friend who did that, or maybe he even does it himself. It would not shock me. <laughs> the guy is is uh, pretty amazing. So it's original music, Phil. It's uh, but it's not okay. it's not Friedrich. It's, um, right. Somebody else. Someone else. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So uh, anyway, and, and actually there is still a website. I believe it's person2184.com. That's the page that he's had up for 15, 16, 17 years now, where you can still download it as something, as a mod to run in Unreal Tournament 2004. And, and the original, I mean, he's just kept that page up all this time. Wow. Um, so uh, it's, it's, it's pretty extraordinary. And apparently, the best I can guess is that somebody who is able to get UT 2004 to run on modern hardware uh, downloaded that and ran it and rendered it freshly with the higher fidelity capture technology that you can do nowadays. And uh, it's a noticeable difference. Uh, the, the fidelity of the overall uh, image in the film is just crisp. And uh, the prior render that I remember seeing before was a bit faded. And at the time he released it, there was a video download and it was kind of lower fidelity and what he would emphasize is well this is not at all the way you're intended to watch this you're supposed to watch it within the engine full screen and this sequence of events plays out with the music and everything so i don't know i just you guys clearly had no trouble finding really compelling recently released stuff i just had no luck at all and so kind of decided to look backward and uh uh, came upon came upon this this film and remembered what a, what an impression it made on me and uh, it and its uh, sequel film the photographer are just uh, just wholly unique I think in the I'm uh, really glad you did in the history of machinima. I'd like to encourage everybody all of you to do that if you can't find a film or there's a certain film that you remember that you really like let's add that to the group because I think it's a really nice contrast to the other films that we have. Um, Friedrich was a, one of those giants in the early uh, machinima era. Um, one of those people, probably the most creative uh, filmmaker of the, of the bunch, whereas Hugh and others were sort of recreating stories from the games. Friedrich was completely reinterpreting uh, and, and in a very contemporary way um, that the person of uh, uh, 2184 is almost like you're a if you remember that's some of those early scenes in Blade Runners where they had the crowd it's almost like the point of view of one of those people in the crowd you know looking at it it's somewhat abstracted um, but there's definitely a very urban sense to it it's exciting it's interesting he was just great and he was part of a big uh, brain drain that occurred uh, towards the end of that era in which Paul Marino and Friedrich and several others withdrew from the main um, everyday machinima creation and moved on to other things. Friedrich was still involved in real-time filmmaking. He's gone into academic teaching and, and demonstrating. He's still creating technology. Um, he was an exciting person and machinima lost a big contributor, although he's still contributing in a way, just not as directly as before. And Person 2184 was my favorite of his films. I liked the journey a lot, uh, but this one was just so unique. I agree completely. Yeah. The journey's yeah. great, but this one, this one's always been my favorite of his. It just has a real now, interestingly, if you look at uh, a film that we're gonna uh, talk about uh, in the future, uh, Facing the Wolf. 
that I chose that was Milan Machinima Festival. It's a, they oftentimes choose films that have a lot of ideas in them, sort of intellectual ideas. Mm -hmm. This one is a film that has a lot of ideas, but it doesn't put the ideas front and center. It puts the filmmaking front and center mm -hmm. and the ideas are behind it. So you can pull out things. And to me, that's a much more interesting process because you have an emotional response to the film. This produces a kind of emotional feeling that I can't quite describe, but I, I re-experienced it with this new render. And um, I just loved it. I just think it's great. Tracy, his films, his films impact me the same way that good paintings do. Ah. Yes. You know, it's the same, like you said, Ricky, it's, it's, it's the ideas are there, but not in your face. You spend time with it and yeah, you can draw them out almost like spirits. It's it's a yeah. wonderful experience. Good analogy. Yeah, I mean, paint, painterly is a is that's a really good way of describing it. Actually, I I also picked up on the Blade Runner esque kind of feel to the um, the film. I'm not really sure when this was released because on on um, on Fozzie's, um Vimeo channel, the this and the photographer were released in 2008. Um, but as you've already said, Phil, this was never intended to be released in a in a kind of a, a, a 2D narrative format. It was intended to be, you know, and, and you know, and how and how he describes it, the goal of the goal of it was to present um an idea or an alternative art direction. He says content and story structure uh, being interactive uh, and using what he described as non-interactive narrative within a, in, in the game space. So the, so the whole kind of purpose of, of the aesthetic style of it was it was it was to be experienced within the within the game. And it and it was intended to be a mod that you played. Um, which I think is that we've lost that in we have in uh, at the moment. I, I say at the moment because I do think people are beginning to realise that there's more to game-like experiences than we've necessarily been looking at, particularly when we talk about the adoption of things like VR. Um, but I think nobody's really pinned down the storytelling side of that too well at the moment. There are, I think, a few interesting groups that have. Are playing with it but but this was way ahead of its time i think mm -hmm. so it's a really in, interesting historical piece um but one that i think will be held up as an exemplar um for, for the for the way that it was um created and intended to be experienced yes um as for the aesthetic style i think what i really uh i really admired about this was the the layering of video and that yeah. kind of that kind of aesthetic that he's 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 applied all these different what what I'd say appear to be post production techniques, but they're clearly not post production. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So almost like cutout video. Yeah, how did he do that? I mean, that was that was. I mean, as it's actually incredible stuff. Yeah. Um, and as you've already said, Phil, uh, he was an you know absolutely outstanding contributor to the world of machinima and to the history of machinima um, and possibly one of the nicest 
absolutely oh my God, personally yes. that I've ever met in my entire life. Yeah, just, me too. Have just a, a warm soul, gentle really. soul. Really, a really, really nice person. Yeah, he he um, came to the um, European Machinima Festival in 2007. The first time I met him, he was an absolute delight. Um, but what you can clearly see here is just how innovative his creative practice uh, was at, at, at the time. And like I said, I'm not too sure what the date of this is. If it's 2008, I'd be very surprised if it is. It's got to be pre that. I think it's journey. slightly. I think it's slightly older than that. I don't think yeah. it's 2004. The, mm. the the game had been out for a while before he did this, but I remember talking about it when I was doing my podcast back then. So that would have been 2006, 2007. Yeah. Um, yeah well, we so, reviewed the journey, which is another 2004 one that he did. Or Ben, I beg your pardon. Ben reviewed the two, the, the journey in the history episode that we just released. Um, so we'll put a link to that in the show notes as well, so you've got yes. that, that back reference, and that that will link you to the journey itself, which was which is another outstanding creation oh, yeah. that he did. I've learned yeah. a lot about this film just listening to you because I didn't realise it was made to be watched in the game mm. when I watched it, and so thinking back. Uh, like you said, Tracy, how did he pull off these things that look like post-production effects in the game? Because, okay, I know I haven't used that version of Unreal, so, but what I know about it, I've never seen anything like that done in any game made with that engine, so I don't know how he did it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But two he was words very come, smart. Yeah. Two words that come to mind um, is urban grunge. It's what you imagine mm. a dark, dirty probably crime-filled city would be like and this video captures that atmosphere perfectly um and you guys have kind of left me struggling what to say because you've already said <laughs> i got the same yeah, blade yeah, runner yeah. vibes from it as well and it was a really excellent um film um and actually the other part of it, it's not necessarily directly this film but maybe start thinking about it these films that were made to be watched in the engine there's kind of this element that's where machinima started and then you got this thing where the transition was over to capturing the footage from the game. And now we've got platforms like iClone uh, and, and so on. So there's, there's a bit in the middle where you cannot change the, the film. So anything made by that, if you want to upscale it or render it again, you have to make the thing from scratch. Yeah. But this, yeah. Uh, because it's been released again by running through the game engine again, uh, the high resolution, better video capture technology, you get a much higher quality copy than the video version that was made available now uh, uh, back then and of course you can do that with iClone now you can load up an, idle, uh, an old iClone project and render it again with the latest graphical enhancements but there's this bit in the middle where that can never happen and so it's interesting I'm kind of wondering what about these other old machine projects that were made to be run in the game that they were made in you could do the same thing with them I mean I'd hope that the original creator would do it not someone else could play it out again, capture it at a much higher resolution, um, maybe even a modded version of the game engine or a newer version of the game engine to add even more enhancements to it if they want to, and then release this old film, but make it more accessible to um, newer audiences in a high resolution. I yeah. think Ben has actually done some of that, um, Ben Grusey, okay. especially with some of the really original, you know, Quake 1 uh, machinima. He's, he's, he, he, he's still will watch them that way um i just don't think he's ever actually 
you know, he doesn't doesn't feel confident he would know how to render it out properly and, and put it up or maybe that even has the right to, but uh, yeah, that is very possible. Um, the one last thing I'll mention about this film is that Friedrich himself is actually in the film. Yes. Uh, he, he is one of the faces. And if you he know what he looks like, maybe, maybe we can find a, a picture, uh, Tracy, yeah. from Machinima Europe, 2007. There's that one photo of where he's like right out in front. Absolutely. You see the smile on that face there. You'll see he's, he's the face that's kind of popping above the crowd in a couple of the different scenes. I, it always cracked me up that uh, he put himself in there. I think in the photographer, he is also in that one as well. Maybe it doesn't emphasize his face quite as much, but he's there. I think the character holding the camera. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. That's yeah. cool. There's it's a neat. little bit, little bit right in the middle where the person, the character of person 2184 has a repeating gesture on their face. Yeah. Yeah. And it perfectly exemplifies the grunge, neurotic grunge thing that you were talking about, uh, Damien. Mm. Uh, you get the feeling that, that these, this kind of neurotic person going down the street. They're very connected to modernism and uh, German expressionism, the notion of the person in the city where the city is a kind of monster and the person is just terrified of everything. It was just so beautiful. So such a great film. It's amazing too that, okay, so this was made, you know, sometime between, we know sometime between 2004 and 2008. And yet there's nothing about, if you look at an in-game machinima made in that same time period, it hey, you can tell, okay, that's older hardware. This, this is, it's the stylistic choice he made is not one bound to a particular date on the calendar. Mm -hmm. like it works now. If someone mm -hmm. made this now, no one would be surprised that it was made now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that to me is where his sensibility as an artist uh, really came through. Cause that's, that's what they do. You know, it's, it's, nobody looks at a, a you can't look at a painting. Okay. Okay. You can based on how that, how it was painted. You could probably go, Oh, well, that's from this era of painting, but I don't know. This just doesn't age for me. Uh, it, me neither. It worked then. It works now. Yeah. And I think it'll work 20 years from now. It's it makes because you wonder, it's, it's just a, it's a style that transcends time. I think. It makes you wonder what Friedrich had he stayed into the mainstream of machinima would have done with grand theft auto. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How he would have moved with that or the unity game engine or, or the contemporary version of unreal. Yeah. Yes. You know, fascinating stuff. Or it what he will do. Will do. Friedrich. Come on. Come on. Yeah. Yes. Get on with it. <laughs> okay. Our next film is a film that was submitted to us. Uh, Tracy, can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yes. This has been submitted by Martin Bell. Um, the film's called Prasenberg Ridge. Um, and Martin um, created it under the uh, studio banner of Yes Commissioner. Um, it's been made in Unreal Engine 4, and it was released on the 27th of June this year. Now, um, the story is set in World War I. Um, it's a, a former rugby player um, for Great Britain called um, Dougie Clark, um, who must rely on his uh, rugby skills to save himself and his fellow soldiers 
from shot, shell and poison gas. It's actually based on a true story, um, focusing on a part of the story that led to uh, Dougie's award of the uh, Military Medal for Bravery. Uh, and it was written, directed and animated by Martin based on an official biography by his brother, Stephen Bell, um, uh, uh, in a book called um, uh, The Man of All Talents, The Extraordinary Life of Douglas Clark. Um, and it includes a, an original score by Mike Payne. Now, Martin is not an inexperienced filmmaker. He has 15 years of animation experience and is now a, a film visualization supervisor and has worked on action sequences for um, franchises like the Jurassic um, World, Marvel, Fast and Furious, James Bond and the DC Universe. His credits also include The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, 1917 and The Wheel of Time. Yeah. Uh, and he's been writing screenplays for years. So he's got chops. Um, but this was a solo project, which took him about two years to make and was completed um, within about eight months of him having picked up Unreal Engine 4. Uh, he'd never used it before. Um, he says he had a, a couple of um, previous edits uh, ready to go in autumn 2020, but he realized the project had become too ambitious to complete alone. Um, although he then couldn't get an animator um, or an animation team together that he wanted to help him. Um, so he tried to do it himself. Um, he, he, what he did is he scaled back some of the areas um, that he'd originally wanted to do and then applied a technique that he felt would hide some of his artistic weaknesses and uh, created a workflow that would help him cut a few corners. And I have to say, uh, from my point of view, this is an incredibly well crafted film, as you might expect. It's very moving uh, and it's very detailed. Or it is at least, I think, in the first part of the film. I think um, what you can see uh, here is, um, I think for me, the story certainly ran out of ran steam a little bit um, towards the end. Uh, and certainly what he's using at the end is some jumps forward, um, which are clearly quite a good way to move it along. And hit some of the key points that you kind of want to make um, in the in the storytelling. Um, and it's, you know, it's a story of a regaled uh, war survivor who used his sports training skills to save his fellow soldiers during a, a time of intense fighting. Um, the style um, that he's used, the effect um, that is applied to this really suits the story. Um, it's, a, I think it's what I would describe as a really intense vignette of this man's experience. It's really harrowing stuff. Um, for, quite frankly, I don't think you'd want more detail um, than what has been presented in this, or at least if you had more detail, I don't think it would necessarily add more to um, what is already there. And the sound design is brilliant. Um, it's detailed, it's very richly layered. And what I really like as well is these kind of West Yorkshire accents um, ah. uh, that have been applied. They're bang on in terms of um, accent. Um, and although it was a solo production, Martin is very clear that its creation has been a collaborative process. And of course, um, the film is actually now part of the materials telling the story of this man's life too, because it's being used as part of an exhibition about Clark in Huddersfield when oh, he played sport. Um, and so those of you who are interested, um, I think what we'll do is also put a link to the book, um, which was written by his brother, um, right. so that you can find out more 
as you want to. What did you guys think? Uh, I, you mentioned that he worked on 1917, and that's mm. one of the films that's coming to mind as I was watching this. It's very harrowing and claustrophobic. This, I mean, uh, this film we're talking about now, and it, the darkness in it, it makes you feel really shut in. Uh, when you've got all the explosions and fighting going on around you, uh, you really feel what he must have been. Well, you know, that you get that sense of you're trapped in this dangerous place any moment you could be next to go mm. and i think the, the nighttime setting um was you know really helped with that and i also really like the stylized look to it as well um as we were just talking about films that don't age so well because of the stylized choice this is one that i think if you watch in 20 years um it won't look as dated as something else made with the same engine because it's got that stylized look which i help think helps separate it from you know the the way that engine would typically look and i think that was an excellent choice it's nice to know that uh, it's being used to tell the, the this film as part of an exhibition to tell the story about this um guy who you know back, was fighting in the war back then and um yeah i think it's an excellent film yeah it's almost a cell shaded look uh, isn't it yeah Amy? yes yes Maybe not quite as limiting as that, but uh, it's it. I loved this. I absolutely loved it. Um, the the story uh, is. I, I, this is definitely the one Ricky wanted to talk about with sentimental story, so I'm going to leave that to him. Um, but in terms of the telling, I I can't find anything wrong with it. Uh, it's just exceptionally well done and you know we talked with cloud racer about the challenge of sequencing your shots to prevent disorientation so at least you have a general idea of where you are mm -hmm. and this is textbook perfect execution of that mm -hmm. like there is no moment in this story where you don't have enough of a sense of where you are and who it is you're following to me, I think this was done perfectly in that regard. And, and the, the amount of experience uh, that you said that uh, um, Martin has as, as a filmmaker, to me, that, that's, that's where that really shines, is the way in which the scenes and the shots were put together. Uh, it's, it's got that pro touch. It's really, 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 really good. Um, we could probably spend an hour just, if we wanted to dissect, why did that work? so well what specifically did he choose uh but we don't have an hour for that so i won't do that but i loved it i loved the sound i think the music fit perfectly um and i don't know there you, you mentioned tracy there was a that you felt like the story ran out of steam i didn't get that off of it um i thought I, it jumped too much you know i thought i i was i got really into the detail you know the blood spatter at the at that uh you know that early point and I, and it really took me on that that journey of um you know what how horror, horrific it must have been at Passchendaele yeah basically. yeah really really kind are of you were, were you familiar with the protagonist's story at all before seeing this no but then I okay. went and read a bit about it and okay and I realized what he'd done was kind of uh picked one uh one part that's um particularly um well 
documented yeah. and well remembered. Yeah, I don't know why it didn't. It didn't feel over compressed story. No, it did, it time, time unwise to me, and and it didn't uh, to I, me either. But I did. There's a little the surprise. End. There's a little surprise at the end too. Uh, for me, it was a, a, quite a surprise right at the very end. Just done with text that I won't give away, but it's yeah, yeah, yeah. It's worth nice. watching all the way. I, I mean, I gasped because uh, yeah. I thought I had. I thought I understood what I had just seen, and then. They gave a little detail there at the end that was just great. So, yeah. I, I like I like any film that can do that to me. It's hard to surprise modern jaded eyes, you know. So anyway, I loved it, but I'm 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 interested to hear what you think, Ricky. Well, you know, World War One is depicted often, interestingly enough, in machinima. Uh, over the years, all of us have watched machinima films, and World War One comes up in a variety of ways. Uh, but I don't think I've ever seen a more effective uh, machinima film on World War One, a more believable one. And that's strange because even though the film is stylized and cell shaded, it actually seems more realistic. Yes. Which harkens back to the idea that animation, cartoons, machinima can actually, with its stylization, tell a story that is more impactful than if you got Steven Spielberg <laughs> and a hundred million dollars worth of extras and special effects. Because what it does is it, I think, and is my theory, it allows you to fill in the blanks with your imagination. It gives you just enough to, to show what it was like, but you put in the, all of that rest that Steven Spielberg would show. Do you know mm. what I mean? Yes. And I, and I you think get the whole battle. Yes. I think that's what I love about animation and machinima mm. and why I oftentimes prefer it over more realistic live action fare. And I think, I don't think I have seen a film by a machinima filmmaker that was more effective in getting its world and story across in a way. Um, yes, there have been really great machinima films that we love, but this one was almost perfect. It's just yeah. so great. I didn't have the same problem you did, Tracy, but I, I see your point now that you, you mentioned that. I could see you could see it that way. But finally, the thing I want to talk about is sentiment. Remember at the beginning, we were talking about mm -hmm. sentiment with uh, Cloud Racer? Whereas sentiment sort of limited the filmmaker and Cloud Racer from be, having a more elaborate and believable story, in this one, it didn't do that. It actually contributed to the story in a way that is, I, I don't know how to explain it, but it was you, the sentiment endowed the story with a kind of quality, a kind of quality that makes you feel good. Yes. About people. Do you know I'm what I mean? so glad to hear you say that. I'm so glad to hear you say that. I thought surely you were going to chew this one up for it, but I, I, you said it so perfect. It did. Somehow it enhanced it. Yeah. Oh. And and that sometimes sentiment can do that in a way that a more realistic film would not, you know, and it's as part of the process of creating animation and 2D characters and that sort of shortened truncated format, you know, the, the, the way he laid it out, his craft of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why I was just so moved by this film. And so, and normally my sentiment meter just goes off the charts when that sort of stuff comes up and I detach. It's just mm -hmm. me. That's the way I do it. But this one, 
this I wanted to point out the sentiment sometimes can be a, a primary element of a film and be so effective in it. <laughs> but it may feel so good about and, and, and it knowing I know a lot about World War One and about that particular battle. Any old white guy in his 50s and 60s <laughs> would be obsessed with that kind of stuff. You know, it's just the way it is. But I, I put in all of this stuff that I had in my mind and I realized, God, what a what a heroic choice to say, no, that's my truck. I've got to take care of it. Knowing that it could mean instant death for him. Oh, my God. What a moment. What a moment. I just love this film. I Mr. did, too. Uh, mm. Just a second. Mr. Bell, please make more movies. <laughs> yes. Yeah, brilliant. And there, and there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, a really nice collection of films. Now we've run a bit long in this episode. There was one more film we were going to talk about. We're going to do that in a sec, a separate episode. Uh, my choice, uh, Facing the Wolf by Ian Douglas and Mark Coverdale, uh, because there's a lot of things I think we need to address in that one. And it would just make this uh, episode too long. So that's going to be our, our show for you today. We're going to do a separate episode next time. Um, please watch these movies. These are great and interesting movies. Despite our criticisms, all of them are just terrific. Films yes. And deserve Up to be watched. Sure. Uh, check the links in our show notes. Contact us about the films. Talk at completelymachinima.com. I'm Rookie Grove, and for Tracy Harwood, Phil Rice, and Damian Valentine, that's our show today. Thank you very much, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.